I don't think we're safe here. The TARDIS has started to convulse. Tremors are running through the walls, like... like the TARDIS is being torn apart. Big Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips. Messages from the Dead by Rachana Patel. Read by Matthew Waterhouse. When it started, I was in the console room, standing beside the doctor. Growing worried, I asked him what was wrong. Nothing, he scowled. It's just a little turbulence, and what's life without a little turbulence, eh? He tried to finish on a smile. But as he did so, the room lurched around us. We both had to grab onto the console just to remain on our feet. Despite his reassuring tone, I could see the fear in his eyes. Before we left eSpace, this is where Romana would have intervened. She would have suggested making a change to the controls, which the Doctor would have laughed off as being utterly preposterous before implementing it and trying to pass the idea off as his own. Now, Romana is gone, and it's just him, staring blankly at the controls. I can always feel his loss in those moments of silence, where he would once have exchanged flippant comments with her. Is there anything I can do to help? I asked, peering around his elbow to see how he had set the coordinates. The shuddering of the TARDIS broke the Doctor's mournful reverie. He shook his head, shrugging away my offer of help, his attention focused on the controls. Can you at least tell me where we are? I pleaded. The turmoil spur the doctor proclaimed, waving a hand in the general direction of the scanner screen, which showed nothing but an empty patch of space. As with so many of the doctor's answers, it was undoubtedly correct, but utterly unhelpful. Giving up on my questions, I headed around the console and checked the name in the TARDIS databank. The Turmoil Spur, a navigational hazard. This region of space is prone to random gravitational fluctuations of unknown origin, capable of destroying all but the most heavily shielded time capsules, best avoided by all space-time travellers. The doctor nodded. It's true, there are very few tourists. He ignored my withering glance. Why are we here? I'm waiting for something, he said, losing patience with my questions and turning to face me finally giving me his full attention. Look, do you want to do something useful? Yes, I cried. I'm not here to be a passenger. I'm here to learn, to do things. I'm never going to just stand quietly out of the way. The doctor nodded. Go and update the TARDIS logbook, would you? There's a good chap, he said, patting me on the back and giving me an unsubtle push towards the door. I sighed. There was no point arguing. It hurts to be sidelined, to know he won't trust me with more. He needs someone like he needed Romana. I'm here to help him, to learn from him. But he's been so distant since they said goodbye. He's yet to make me feel like I've earned my place. 
So, if you want something done, even if it is menial record-keeping, even if it feels like the last thing I should be doing as the walls of my new home threaten to crumble around me, I'll do it. I trust the doctor. Maybe one day he'll feel the same. Start with the Hermes, the doctor yelled, his voice echoing down the corridor moments after I had left. I know there is supposed to be a vast library somewhere which contains a section filled with logbooks, star charts and gazetteers, but despite numerous attempts, I've never found it. The doctor says that this is because the library keeps moving so that it's easier to find. Knowing that I'd never been able to locate the room, let alone the books, I settled on a different plan. I made my way here, to one of the storage rooms, and retrieved this data recorder from one of the many boxes of assorted components and other random debris. I'm not sure what purpose this record may serve, but as we're supposed to be answering a summons to Gallifrey, I suspect it is intended to show the Time Lords the person Romana had become before she left us. So, here I am, doing as the Doctor asked, updating the TARDIS log. I'm going to tell you about the Hermes. It started with a distress call. It was a male voice, calm and steady at first, as he described how he was struggling to maintain control of his ship. But as the message continued, he became desperate, begging for help. Having calculated the source of the transmission, Romana read out the coordinates and the doctor punched them in. Just like that, we were on our way, rushing headlong into danger to help someone in trouble without a thought for our safety. Because, well, that's what they always did. I'm not as brave as them. Who could be? They charged around the universe like they're invincible. That's not me. I've lost too many people. Everyone. Except for the Doctor. It's just him and me now. That's why it hurts so much when he shuts me out. The TARDIS had materialised in the engine room of an interstellar freighter on a high metal walkway overlooking a massive reactor core. The ship's hull groaned as it strained against unseen forces. A warning klaxon wailed and red lights flashed as the Doctor dashed off down the shaking metal walkway, holding onto his hat to prevent it from flying away. Romana plunged after him, following so closely that she was almost treading on the ends of his scarf. If I had been on my own, I think I may have just turned around and left. It's not that they made me braver, I just wanted so badly to be a part of their world, that I let myself be swept up and carried along by their courage. I suspect I would have followed them anywhere. We made our way through a bulkhead into a small cargo bay containing three large containers. We didn't stop to examine them, but pushed hurriedly on through the next bulkhead in search of the pilot. 
the door opened into a small control cabin with a single command chair facing a large view screen which was filled with static. We're here to help if we can, and we usually can, proclaimed the doctor as he strode forward and turned to face the pilot. Although, in this case, I grant you, we might be a little too late. Romana cried with horror as the doctor turned the chair to face us. The pilot was dead. At first, none of us understood. We had all heard this man's cries for help only moments before. Yet, judging by his decayed bones, he must have been dead for years. What happened to him? I asked, my curiosity heightened by my horror. The doctor flipped several switches on the control panel, which failed to elicit any reaction from the computer. Instead, it took a firm thump from his fist to jar the machinery back into action. The view screen flickered into life. There's our culprit, the doctor declared, his eyes widening with surprise. Set into the familiar greenish dust haze that fills e-space was a gaping maw of nothing, devouring everything around it. A black hole, Romana said, her voice crushed to little more than a whisper, suppressed by both awe and alarm. I was familiar with the theoretical concept of a black hole, but nothing I had experienced in a lecture hall could ever have prepared me for the experience of staring directly into that looming, unreasoning oblivion. Glancing at the data displayed on the control panel, I knew we were close. Far too close. We were sitting on the edge of the event horizon, the point from which there is no return, and the autopilot was rattling the ship to pieces in a desperate attempt to prevent it from disappearing forever. This explains why we only just received the pilot's signal, I reasoned, confident that I understood the mathematical properties involved. Space and time warp around a black hole, slowing towards its centre. But while the ship and the corpse are shielded from the effects, it would have taken decades for the signal to escape from the gravity well of the singularity. I remember smiling, feeling rather pleased with myself, confident that I'd contributed something useful. But Romana just stared at me. A man has died, Adric, she said, in a low, berating tone. I did understand that, but what use was sentimentality? He was dead, and we were in danger. To my mind, it was far more important to establish what had happened so that we could be on our way before something worse occurred. I don't think he appreciates the gravity of the situation, muttered the doctor in a deep, deadpan voice which turned his pun into a stark warning. That's what killed the pilot. Gravity. I nodded ignoring the fact that while Romana would berate me for my perceived callousness, she would tolerate the Doctor's flippancy. They knew each other's limits. They could make light of the grim discovery because they knew how seriously they both took it. I had not yet earned that level of respect. Romana carefully stepped around the body to look at the data on the computer screens. The autopilot has tried to back the ship off to a safe distance, she told us. But it's a battle it can never win. 
This shit won't last much longer. The doctor just stared into the mid-distance, lost in contemplation. The real question is, what was he doing here in the first place? A look of exasperation crossed Romana's face as she glanced between her distracted friend and the deadly, churning maelstrom. We'll never know, Doctor, she cried, tugging at his sleeve. We can't stay here. Our arrival has destabilised the ship. We have to go. Surfacing from his thoughts and suddenly registering the urgency in her voice, the Doctor began walking briskly towards the exit. The ship bucked wildly, sending us all toppling sideways. The control console erupted in flames, showering us with sparks as grey smoke billowed out of the burning unit. Multiple alarms shrieked as the room spun and the darkness loomed larger on the viewscreen. Despite the chaos, the Doctor somehow managed to leap to his feet and throw himself against the control panel. The autopilot has lost control, he bellowed. Then turn it off, Romana called sounding composed despite lying in a heap on the floor. No, that would be madness, boomed the doctor as he flipped several switches and grabbed hold of the yoke. I've taken manual control. He grinned manically as he adjusted the engine output and slowly steadied the room around us. What a brilliant idea, Romana congratulated him, pretending she was oblivious to the fact that it was identical to her suggestion. I wish I'd thought of it. I clambered to my feet and dusted myself down. We were safe, at least for the moment. All we had to do was get back to the TARDIS. I gestured towards the cargo bay. Let's go, I cried, but the Doctor and Romana did not respond. They were standing side by side at the controls, their eyes locked together in a silent, unblinking stare. Stepping back towards them, I immediately saw the problem. The control panel was lit up with fault lights, indicating that the autopilot was no longer functional. The only way the craft could maintain any kind of equilibrium was if someone stayed at the controls and adjusted the engines manually, countering every tiny shift in the destructive energies that were buffeting the ship. We couldn't all make it back. Someone had to stay. Yet neither of them would ever contemplate abandoning the other. Perhaps there's something in the cargo bay that might help, I ventured. I mean, the pilot must have had a reason for coming this close to the black hole, so isn't it logical that he might be carrying something that could help? The doctor nodded. I'll go and check. Adric, come with me. Romana can handle things here, he declared, stepping away from the controls as she swiftly took his place. At no point did they discuss or even mention the predicament. In a critical moment like this, there was never any rivalry or ego. They simply did what needed to be done. I ran after the doctor into the cargo bay. He was yanking the lid off the first of the three crates and peering inside. Then he tipped the entire crate over, spilling the contents across the deck, revealing hundreds of cards, discs, cartridges and cassettes. It's just junk. I broke open the second crate, but its contents were even more disappointing. There was nothing but handwritten letters with countless envelopes of different shapes, sizes and colours stacked in neat lines. More junk, 
I added. I hurried over to the final container, knowing it was our last remaining hope. Opening it up, I found a series of strange frozen tubes. Despite not fully understanding the technology involved, I felt certain it was just another form of data storage. There's nothing here that can help us, I sighed. Don't be so sure, the doctor said, having moved over to the second crate and begun opening letters and flicking through the contents. Have a read. It's interesting stuff. I plucked out an envelope at random, opened it and glanced through its pages. I found a photograph showing a dozen people gathered around a baby. They were thin and haggard, wearing old, dirt-stained uniforms, but they were all smiling, large, happy grins. The letter itself told the story of a ship which found itself lost in an unknown region of space and had crashed on an uncharted world. It detailed the survivor's struggle to stay alive over several years, culminating in the birth of a child. This is personal, I complained. We shouldn't be reading these. I won't tell the post office if you don't, the doctor replied. I had no idea what a post office was, but I let the matter drop. He frequently uses references and turns of phrase, making no allowance for my lack of knowledge. I'm just expected to keep up. I picked out a second letter, which told the story of a young fighter pilot who had been travelling alone when he witnessed the stars suddenly change around him and found himself in a completely different region of space. Crashing on a lifeless world, he had managed to eke out his rations for several months before he was rescued by a passing ship whose crew were just as lost as him. I stopped reading. There was a common thread amongst the letters. They're all from crews that came through the CVE. Are they? Oh, yes, cried the doctor with feigned excitement, as if he had reached the same conclusion several minutes ago. Anything else? Their letters home. Flipping through the contents of various envelopes, I found countless similar tales of people who had ventured out into space and found themselves unable to return. Colonists, adventurers, traders, tourists, soldiers, scientists, refugees and explorers. They had all known the countless risks of space travel, yet they had all headed out amongst the stars anyway, prepared to face whatever dangers lay ahead. It was a perspective I understood. My people found the courage to move on, leaving behind the world they knew. I knew I had to do the same, but I couldn't go with them. My place wasn't with them. My last link to them severed when Vash died. I risked stowing aboard the TARDIS, with no idea where I would end up or what might happen to me. Now, I'm in a different universe. Given all the dangers and all the uncertainties, it's a wonder that anyone chooses to leave. Yet we do. We have to. Because what we have is not enough. So we reach for new horizons, 
searching for something more or something different. We know the only way we can ever truly be happy is to leave, in the hope of finding something which feels a little more like home, more than home ever did. And that's what I found aboard the TARDIS. I found where I belong. The same was true for everyone who put messages into the hold of the Hermes. Despite having fallen victim to the CVE, as the years passed, they'd stopped thinking of themselves as being lost or trapped. They made new lives and homes for themselves, having long since accepted that rescue or escape from eSpace was impossible. They knew they were never going back. I glanced over at the first container, realising that there was no practical way we would ever play the odd assortment of antiquated discs and cassettes, not with the resources we had available. Whatever secrets and stories they held, they were lost to us. The Doctor, having moved over to the third container, had managed to get one of the frozen tubes to play a holographic message. A semi-transparent image of a young woman hung ghost-like in the air, reassuring us she was safe and well until the doctor abruptly shut the device down. You know what I find fascinating, he mused, is that everyone who wrote or recorded these messages genuinely thought they might be delivered. I shook my head. It would do no good now. Remember how old that pilot's body was, I reminded him. The people who sent these messages and the intended recipients are long since dead. And you think that makes their words less important, do you? The doctor asked. We have other things to worry about, I said, feeling the deck start to tremble beneath my feet. We're running out of time, so unless they have something important to tell us. The doctor laughed. Ha <laughs> ha! But they do. Ha ah, yes, you just don't listen, he said, then repeated his earlier statement, enunciating each word. They genuinely thought these messages might be delivered. I frowned. What he was suggesting was impossible, beyond rational consideration. But it did explain why the ship might be in its current predicament. It stood on the brink of a phenomenon that breached the boundaries of space and time, reaching beyond e-space. The autopilot and Romana had both been fighting against the black hole, but could the pilot have been deliberately attempting to navigate his way into it? The doctor's eyes gleamed with wild excitement. There's a lot of power in this ship's reactor, enough that the engines can resist the gravitational pull of a black hole. Just imagine what might happen if we switched all that power through to the shields. I stared at him, terrified by the look of gleeful madness on his face. This ship might survive for a little while, but there's nowhere for it to go. The pilot's mission was doomed to fail. He was a fool even to try, I protested, until a sudden realisation hit me. But it might hold the ship stable long enough for Amana to leave the controls and for us all to get back to the TARDIS. You're sure? No, it's a maybe at best. I'll always chance a maybe, 
cried the doctor, dashing back through the bulkhead into the control cabin. Romana, I've had an idea! Romana did not respond. Her attention was fixed on the control panel in front of her, and there was a tiny furrow of confusion on her brow. There was a signal, she muttered. Just for a moment, there was a voice from someone out there in the dark. The doctor and I both stared at the empty black void on the view screen. That's impossible, I said. The doctor shook his head. Given it happened, it can't be impossible, just improbable. And in a big enough universe, improbable things happen all the time. Romana turned to look at the doctor. So, what's this idea? she asked. Cut the engines, push all the power into the shields. The doctor grinned broadly, as if he hoped his sheer enthusiasm would convince her it wasn't utter madness. She shrugged. She knew there was no time for discussion. She had to trust him. The only question is, do we stay aboard? The doctor asked. The pilot believed there was a chance this ship could make it through to end space. And look what happened to him, Romana said, gesturing at the skeletal corpse in the command chair. Pah! The doctor responded. You're a much better pilot than him, probably. I mean, for starters, you're not dead. I shook my head. I could tell from the bluntness of their exchange that there was far more to their discussion than mere facts. Romana was not keen to return to Endspace, knowing that the Time Lords would insist that she return to Gallifrey. Yet the Doctor was desperate to find a way back to their home universe. You can't argue with mathematics, Doctor, I said, injecting some harsh truth into their conversation. It doesn't care how clever or funny or charming you are. The forces within a black hole will crush this ship to nothing. There's no logical way it can succeed. He turned his large, boggling eyes towards me, and for a moment I thought he was going to disagree. His right hand clenched into a fist, as if he wanted to lash out at the universe for daring to frustrate his optimism. Romana smiled sweetly. Although, if anyone were clever, funny and charming enough to do it, it would be you. She knew how to curtail his worst instincts. While he would always fiercely resist being told anything was impossible, he would always crumble to flattery. You know how stubborn mathematics can be, don't you? Foolishly stubborn, he suggested, staring contritely at his shoes, before suddenly leaping into action again and punching the air. Right, everybody get ready to run! I threw a glance at the swirling maelstrom outside. Had I stayed with my people, I would never have faced a moment like this. Seeing such a terrifying wonder up close, whilst wrestling with an insoluble mathematical problem and facing a life-or-death decision. My existence would have been far safer, but I did not want a bland life, not when I could have an exceptional one. Romana turned the engines off. Their thunderous roar faded to nothing. A glowing energy field brightened on the view screen. They were not as powerful as the TARDIS shields, but she was able to push them out much further, creating a bubble of perfect calm within the storm. The ship began to plummet, held steady by the protective energy barrier, but succumbing to the relentless hunger of the dark maelstrom. 
The doctor turned and ran, once again holding onto his hat as he plunged through the door into the cargo bay. Bounding through the next bulkhead, he led the way onwards, sprinting across the metal walkway towards the TARDIS. By the time Romana had joined him, he had the door open, but I was still a dozen steps behind them. The ship shook. I saw the walls of the hull buckle. I watched as a section of the metal walkway ahead of me broke apart, clattering down into the reactor beneath us, leaving an impassable chasm in my path. Jump! cried the doctor. So I did. I ran and leapt, plunging headlong across the void. I knew there was no way I could make it, but I had to try. And as I fell, my fingers falling just short of the far side, the Doctor and Romana reached out and caught me, hauling me up and thrusting me into the TARDIS. The doors closed, and I heard a familiar wheezing and groaning noise as the TARDIS spirited us away, leaving the Hermes plunging into the dark. It seems odd to me now that out of all the events I could have added to the TARDIS log, this is the one the Doctor deemed to be the most important. Nor is it like him to dish out trivial tasks just to keep me out of his way. Oh, I'm a fool. Is this just his way of telling me exactly what he's doing? Of course, that's it. I've got to get to the console room. I've got to be there, in case he needs me. I know now that this entry was never meant just for me, nor for the Time Lords. It's for anyone who cares to listen. So, let me tell you how things ended. Barging through the door of the console room, I glanced at the scanner screen to see a small black void growing out of nothing. Black tendrils were snaking outwards from a central point, thrusting everything, even light, out of their way, obscuring the stars from view. Negative gravity, yelled the doctor, which I guess was supposed to be some form of an explanation for the eruption of dark space that was threatening to annihilate us. I stepped up to the console to recheck the coordinates. Now I knew what I was looking for, the numerals held new meaning. They were not just another set of figures. They were the exact opposite of the coordinates for the black hole in e-space. I immediately knew what was on the scanner screen. It was a huge mass of space and time, pressing in from another universe, rupturing through into this one, and somewhere among its colossal energies would be the vessel which we had abandoned. The doctor grinned. Your mathematics didn't include one of the variables, he cried. Me. As he spoke, the lost ship appeared in the center of the dark mass. I knew what he had done. One black hole was deadly, but two could be forged into a passageway, linking distant times and places, or in this case, universes. The Doctor had created an unstable wormhole, 
and now one universe was spilling into the other. That's the thing about messages. They don't mean a thing until they're delivered. <laughs> he chortled gleefully. So, I've opened a doorway and I'm taking delivery. Just as the pirate hoped someone would. It's something we could never have done from the other side. The meaning of his words was not lost on me. We'd had to come around to open up the way through. But now we were once again in danger, as the vast mass that had once threatened to devour us now plumed outwards to engulf us. Is all this risk worth it, I asked, just for a bunch of old messages? The doctor's eyes widened. Yes, he cried irritably. They're the last records of the lives lived by thousands of missing people. A cry in the dark which proclaims, we were here, we survived, we lived. And the value of any message lies not in its being sent, but in how it's received. Speaking is easy, it's being heard that's difficult. I've no idea what you're talking about. Ah, well, that's very much my point, the doctor replied. Behind him, the image on the scanner screen suddenly changed. The image of the ship replaced by a burst of static. Through the black and white blizzard, I could see the vague shape of a person and hear fragments of a familiar voice as a signal struggled to break through. It was Romana, the interference clearing just long enough for us to glimpse her face. She gave a sad smile. I know it's you. Who else would it be? I'm glad you made it home. I always knew you would. I'd like to think that I'm there by your side, but how can I be? The Time Lords will never allow it. Her face faded becoming nothing but a ghost, lost in a sea of white noise. The doctor stared at the screen. Hesitantly, he reached out a hand and opened a communication channel. No one could ever hold you back, he beamed proudly. Not the Time Lords, not even me. I've no idea if she received the message. I remember when we were aboard the Hermes, she said she heard a voice, but she never mentioned whether she understood the word. When I turned back to the scanner screen, her signal was gone, replaced by an image of the Hermes. The ship suddenly shot forwards, moving at a colossal speed, riding on a wave of destructive energy erupting out of the rift, which rose, breaking through its shields, threatening to destroy it. In a moment, the Hermes would be lost, gone forever. I looked at the doctor, but he didn't move. He was just staring into the distance with an expression of loss and regret haunting his face. It was at that moment that I finally understood what the doctor had meant. Any message could take on countless meanings, depending on the recipient, who would always apply a context of their own. Romana's words, meant to provide comfort, 
had provoked a very different reaction in the Doctor. They had delivered a shock, making him finally realise what he had lost. And it paralysed him at a critical moment. With only seconds to spare, I stepped up to the console, extending and expanding the TARDIS shields, exactly as I had seen Romana do aboard the Hermes, so that they wrapped around the endangered vessel. The wave broke around them, knocking the TARDIS and the Hermes headlong and sending the console room spinning wildly around me. I tumbled backwards to land in a crumbled heap by the doors. As the room stabilised, I opened my eyes to find the doctor standing over me. We did it! he cried, punching the air. My plan worked! The Hermes has been saved! He said nothing about the fact that it was me, not him, who operated the controls. But, like Romana had so many times before me, I let him take the credit. He glanced down at me, as if he were suddenly seeing me for the first time. You were right, though. We would have died if we had stayed aboard, he said, helping me to my feet and placing an arm about my shoulders. You know... You're quite good at mathematics. Has anyone ever told you that, eh? I laughed. We remained in the area long enough to see the rupture close, quietly folding back in on itself and fading away to nothing. There is no predicting what effect the ship's cargo of messages will have on this universe. Like the account I'm recording now, I can have no idea who might one day read or listen to those words, or what it may mean to them. They will find their own meanings. If you're listening to this, then you'll have found these messages. The Doctor and I have added our story to theirs, safe among the Hermes cargo, so you'll know how these messages made their way home. So you'll know the risks we took, and the difficult choices we made, just to make sure these words endured. So you'll know about Romana. They're a gift, finally delivered from one universe to another. Treasure each and every one of them. Because it doesn't matter that the people who made the original messages are gone. Their history will always inspire interest and their voices will always resonate with someone because they went out into the universe and they did something extraordinary.